vital doctrines for living victoriously. Sin, what is that? You ever heard of that? Sin, what in the world is that? You know, a lot of, a lot of people shy away from wanting to talk about that, but that's the reason we're in the shape that we're in today, because of sin and our sinful nature, and that's what we were born with, a sinful nature. Uh, we, we do a great job of sinning. You don't have to be taught to sin. It just comes natural for, for we hard-headed humans sometimes. I went back and brought out some old psychology books from years ago and looked up a guy by the name of Carl Menninger, the American psychiatrist. He lived to be 96 years old. And throughout the years, his goal was to analyze and solve world problems with psychiatry. Now, you say, what is psychiatry? Well, psychiatry is the study and treatment of mental illness, emotional disturbance, and abnormal behavior. I think I fit that a lot of times. One of his books, if you read anything about him, one of his books, Whatever Became of Sin... He looked into the worldwide problem of gloom, apprehension, depression, and discouragement. And he traced many of the results to the problem of sin. And with that, this is what he did. And I never realized this about a psychiatrist. I thought they were kind of funny, strange people. But this guy was thinking in the right direction, I think, when he said this. He called for a universal recognition of sin as a preventative against self-destruction. Did you get that? A universal recognition of sin, that we must recognize sin, and that could possibly prevent us from self-destructing. Well, I thought about that, and I also thought about this. As far as I'm concerned, and maybe for you as well, sin many times has been a lost word in our vocabulary. So, what do you say we answer that question, what is sin? I looked up a couple of definitions. Rebellion against God. Estrangement from a loving God. Missing the mark a holy God intends for us to hit. I think I'm going to take it a step further. Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you won't agree. But I think to a certain point, we have replaced the word sin with mistake. And let me illustrate. A true story of a prominent female athlete was supposedly using performance-enhancing drugs. When confronted, she at first denied it until she could no longer get around it. Later, in a TV interview, the sportscaster said to her, you lied, didn't you? To which the athlete said, no, I just made a mistake. Well, let's look together at the Old Testament this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Find your Bibles there. This is an age-old story that I think can really shed some light, some insight into the matter of sin. Now, I understand 
We don't like to talk about this, so just bear with me. Look, I preach to myself before I preach to you each week, and I still continue to preach to me. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, just so, just so we'll get an idea of what's going on here, let me, let me give you some things to look for in order to understand what the Bible is saying here in this 12th chapter. It's, it's a parable, if you will. When, when you come across the rich man, he represents David. Okay? The poor man will represent Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband. And the lamb we'll read about represents Bathsheba. David, Uriah, and Bathsheba. Rich, poor, and lamb. Verse 1, Then the Lord sent Nathan, Nathan was a prophet, to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, get verse, verse 7. We need to get verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus the Lord God of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if, that had not been, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. Verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, verse 14, Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. And then Nathan departed to his house. The word of the Lord. And Lord, I pray now as we look a little closer into this scripture, I pray, God, that you would show us, Father, what it is you would have us to learn. 
what it is you want us to leave here with. And Lord, I pray uh, that we will uh, not look at time right now, but Lord, help us to listen and stay focused on you for the next few minutes we have together. In your name we pray. Amen. Lots of blanks there on your handout. I promise I'll try to go quickly with this. But just some quest- three basic questions and then some things underneath there that I, that I think we need to look at this morning. Whatever became of the reality of sin? You see, it was months after David had departed from doing God's will. Uh, by committing adultery by, with Bathsheba and plotting the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Months passed, and then came the extreme guilt. Have you been there before? And it was obvious, as the Scripture says to us this morning, that David would not face the reality of his sin, the sin that he had committed. So, so God used Nathan, that prophet, to go to David and say in verse number 7, you are the man. You are the man. I think we've all probably been there experiencing guilt in our lives because we were unwilling to face the reality of sin in our life. Maybe evading the fact of sin or or trying to rationalize the common use of sin in our society today. So that brings us to the fact that observation teaches us the reality of sin. All we have to do is look at the newspaper. All we have to do is turn on the radio, look, uh, look, uh, look at the TV, go on the Internet, and we'll understand and realize the reality of rebellion against God. Can't we find it there? Political scandal, scandals, atrocious crimes against people, murder, sexual abuse, all of those things testify that there is rebellion against God and there is the reality of sin. Take, for example, we can, go, we can go right here to King Street or Manning or Sumter or Lake City and even Turbyville, and you can see that sin is real. What do you find? You've got law officers all over the place, jails full of prisoners, cars that are armed uh, with alarms, law enforcement officers on school campuses, security guards and, and cameras in most stores and, and malls. It's all over the place. All we have to do is look around. And then letter B, experience teaches us the reality of sin. Experience. Now, here's where it hurts. All we have to do is look at our own lives, church. I look at me. You you look at you. A close look into our personal lives will convince us of sin's reality. For example, let's take our thoughts. Our thoughts convince, convince us that we don't think the way God thinks. Isaiah 55, verse 8. It says that God, God says that, that, that my ways, God's ways are not our ways, and our ways are not God's ways. Won't you agree? Our speech sometimes reveals our lack of concern for other people. What about our actions? What do they show? That most of life's concern is centered around, and this was said around the table in Bible study not long ago, around this, me, myself, and I. It's all about me. Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And let us see the Holy Spirit teaches the reality of sin. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week. And remember in the sermon where Jesus was instructing us all about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8, when he says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit 
This is what he'll do. He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, the Holy Spirit confronts we as believers with the reality of sin. Let me say this to us. You may be thinking, as, as I was thinking in preparation, that we may not have committed the same acts that David did. However, that, that, that does not exempt us from being confronted with the reality of sin. I took it a step further. I want to think that we people sometimes are unwilling to recognize sin in our life. And not only that, but to deal with sin in our life. So whatever happened or became to the reality of sin. Second question, whatever became of the regret over sin? The regret over sin. I think we, we're very clear, the scripture is very clear, showing Nathan as he confronts David with the reality of his rebellion and his sinfulness. And we saw there when David acknowledged his sin in that 12th chapter, he had deep regret. And that should happen every time we confront sin seriously. Profound regret will result. Regret comes because sin hurts God. Sin hurts God. If you haven't realized it yet, I hope you will. You probably have, but let me just remind us. That God has a high calling. God has a high standard for us, his children. And when we fail to live according to God's will, guess what happens to God? God is deeply hurt. You know when that son or that daughter disappoints you and lets you down? Maybe that husband, that wife disappoints you or lets you down. You're deeply hurt. But let me ask you this. What was the prominent feeling of God when, when David did what he did. You think God was ready to do away with him? Was God ready to kill him on the spot? Legally back then, he, he could have been killed for those two acts. He, he broke three of, the, three of the commandments. Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not, not steal, and thou shalt not murder. He broke all three of those, and he could have been killed. But God was not angry. That's the God that we serve. Was he disappointed? Absolutely. Was he, was he troubled? Was he, did he feel sorrow? Absolutely. Do you think his heart was wounded? Absolutely. But he still loved him. Regret comes, let her be, because sin destroys self. Isn't it interesting that God gives us a choice? God gives us a choice. He didn't make us robots. He gives us a choice, just like he gave Adam and Eve back in the garden way back then, whether or not to eat the fruit. God gives you and me the choice of accepting him or rejecting him. And some people listen to the Holy Spirit's call on their life, and they respond to that call to salvation. And then there are others who rebel against God and totally self-destruct. Many, many examples we find in the Bible about how sin destroys. Remember Judas who traded his soul for 30 pieces of silver? Remember the rich young ruler who, 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 who forfeited his soul for material things? Regret also comes because sin impairs human relationships. That simply means this, church, that sin separates us from a good relationship with other people. Think about it. Families, how many families have divided because of sin? 
How many nations have gone to war because of sin? How many communities have been busted up because of some sin? I want you to take some time this week. I want to challenge you to go back and read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And notice how truly David regretted his sin. Whatever became of the repentance from sin. Question number three. It is pretty clear and obvious that David saw the reality of his rebellion. And that rebellion brought profound regret to him. And then that godly sorrow led him to repentance. He repented and committed his life afresh and anew to the Lord. See, repentance has a supreme place. Has a supreme place. Nathan was God's appointed prophet to call David to turn in the direction of God. That was, the, that was the role, the job, the duty of Old Testament prophets, to turn people to God. And when Jesus came on the scene, that was the very same message that God the Father gave him, that of repentance. Remember John the Baptist, this very same message he said they gave to John the Baptist, that of repentance. Luke 3, 3, talking about John the Baptist. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance. For what? For the remission of sins. And guess what, church? That's our job as well. That we're to preach. We're to try to convince people to move in the direction of God. Is our life drawing people to Christ or is our life driving people away from Christ? Letter B, repentance has profound meaning. Profound meaning. Now, now get this as we wrap it up here. Repentance does not mean to acknowledge our rebellion and regret it and stop there. You got that? It not, does not mean just to acknowledge our rebellion and regret it. Period. Case closed. No, we need to take it a step further. It means this, to change our minds to the extent that we change directions. It means to change from selfishness to commitment to the Lord. And then notice letter C, repentance produces wonderful results. Look at what happened when David repented. His life moved in a totally new direction. It took on new meaning and significance. You see, repentance resolves the guilt feeling of sin and affords us a new life in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. What does that say? Behold, if any man, woman be in Christ, any man, woman, boy, girl, be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. Let me, let me close with this. Let's take, let's take a journey together. And let's go out these doors, and let's take a left on 527, and let's head towards Sardinia. And let's cross over 301, all of us together, let's cross over 301, and let's go towards I-95. And let's get on northbound. Let's go north. And I'm going to take all of you out for sub-sandwiches today. And we're going to go for a sub-sandwich, and we get on 95, and, and we're going north to exit 135. 
And lo and behold, something happens, and we miss exit 135, and we have to go to the next exit in order to get back to exit 135 to where we were going. So we get off of that exit 141, I believe it is, and we do, we headed this way, and we get off of this exit, we go up this ramp, go back over 95, and then we head back in the direction to exit 135 where we can all be happy and enjoy ourselves together. Did you get the, the picture of repentance? Going one way, miss the exit, God forgives us. We confess that we missed it. God forgives us. And then he puts us back on the right track, and he changes our direction. He changes our life. He changes the way we think. The, 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 he changes how we live. He changes everything about us when we truly repent. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for Nathan, the prophet, who went to David and said, David, you are the man. And when David finally realized after some uh, almost a year had passed since his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and he realized that all of this guilt that he felt was because he had not repented. Lord, show us that today. That, we, that There may be all of us here today that needs to repent of some sin in our life to, to get us back on the right road that you want us on. God, you want us on the journey towards you. You don't want us out flopping around like a fish out of water. God, you want us on the straight and narrow. So, Lord, yes, many times we have missed that exit. We have missed that exit 135, and we had to go and get off and come back and think of the things that, 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 we, that we did that caused us to miss it, those distractions in our lives, those bad habits in our lives, that sinfulness in our lives. But, God, you allowed us to turn around and, and, and say we're sorry and we, we regret what we've done. And, Lord, you get us back on that right path. So, Lord, if that be the case for anyone today, I pray that he or she might respond to the Holy Spirit in their life. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. A hymn of dedication, number 338. Let's stand as we sing.